Welcome to dollars and cents with a couple of gents Making money moves with the finest of gents Come and pull up a seat cause we're proud to present How to make some good decisions when you're on the fence Robbie Steve gonna tell you how to do it the best Hello and welcome to dollars and cents with a couple of gents I am one of the gents, Stephen Ellis And I am the other gent, Robert Wolfson So this is our first ever podcast uh, We are both excited and nervous Would you say we're, we're more excited or more nervous, Rob? A little bit more nervous, that's for sure Yeah, that, that may come through today, I think we'll, we'll see what happens So just a couple of quick introductions We are both wealth advisors uh, in the Calgary area uh, with the Ellis Financial Group with Scotia Wealth Management. So before we delve into the topic of today's podcast, Steve, I just wanted to give a quick shout out and thank you from us at Ellis Financial Group. A huge thank you to all of the frontline workers, all the essential workers, all the first responders. Just thank you so much for all of your work, uh, tireless efforts over the past couple of months to keep us safe and healthy throughout this terrible situation. Absolutely. Well said, Rob. So with that, obviously, we are in the midst of a, of a health crisis here and have seen a uh, subsequent uh, significant drop to the global markets. So lots we could talk about when it comes to the markets, but we know that you've likely been inundated with information about the virus and, and the markets. It's really been headline news for, for several months now. So what we want to do is address things from a bit of a different angle today, a little bit of a change of pace. So we are going to talk about your mind. Uh, in our industry, we refer to it as behavioral finance. So in other words, the study of the influence of psychology on the behavior of investors. It also includes the effects of those behaviors on the markets and focuses on the fact that investors are not always rational, believe it or not. We all have limits to our self-control and we're influenced by the biases that we have. Yeah, exactly, Steve. But in order to better understand behavioral finance theory, we first have to talk a bit about traditional financial theory. Traditional financial theory includes the following beliefs, that both the market and investors are perfectly rational. We know that's not true. That's not true. Investors truly care about practical and sensible characteristics. That investors have perfect self-control. Uh, probably mm, not. Probably not. And that they are not confused by cognitive errors or information processing errors. But whereas behavioral finance assumes that investors are not rational, dare we may even say that they are irrational, that they actually have limits to their self-control, that investors are influenced by their own biases, for sure. Yeah. And investors might make cognitive errors that can lead to wrong decisions. Yeah, so we know that investors are not always rational. That isn't a knock on anybody. Let's make that clear. And hopefully all the listeners out there can recognize that, that we are not always rational as human beings. Uh, a better way of, of putting it uh, may be to say that we often make decisions based on emotion and more specifically on our emotional biases. Also, that many of us make common cognitive errors in our decision-making. I assume most of you would at least agree with that. If you don't, perhaps we can convince you otherwise as we go through some examples. 
So with that, let's let's talk about biases and, and split that up into two categories, cognitive biases and emotional biases. So today we are going to talk specifically about three cognitive biases and one emotional bias. We'll cover more in future episodes. There are some other ones we want to talk about, but for the with the uh, interest of time, we'll just cover uh, a few here today. So let's start with a few cognitive biases. The first one being cognitive dissonance. So what is it? Quite simply, cognitive dissonance refers to a situation involving conflicting attitudes, beliefs, or behaviors. This produces a feeling of mental discomfort, leading to an alteration in one's attitudes, beliefs, or behaviors to reduce the discomfort and restore balance. Investors will often go to great lengths to convince themselves they made the right decision to avoid the mental discomfort associated with the fact that perhaps they didn't. So, to better explain this, let's take a hypothetical investor and call him, what, what should we call him, Rob? Well, let's have some fun with this, Steve. Let's call him Johnny Be Good. Okay, so, so Johnny's nervous that the markets are too high and are going to fall in the near future. Because he heard that China's economy is slowing down based on numerous articles that he read in major newspapers. Seeing a lot of that these days, right, with the, the news media. As such, he thinks a correction is imminent across global equities. Now, Rob, you as the advisor in this situation counsel him that it, it's important not to let news articles influence his long-term investment plan, as you would. But despite your counsel... Johnny B. Good decides to cut half of his equity exposure anyway. The next day, the markets drop, say 2%, as more news comes out, speculating about China's woes. And Johnny feels good in that feeling that uh, the news has confirmed his view. Um, he ends up selling his remaining equity positions. However, a week later, a report comes out that the global economy is stronger than expected and markets rally. Johnny's now challenged because he realizes he made a mistake, but he has trouble acknowledging this fact. So let's, let's think about that example. It not only explains why investors who sell out, in this case, making a big bet and selling everything, uh, may end up sitting on cash for a prolonged period of time, right? It's not accepting that, that decision, seeing the change of information, and then reversing course, right? Someone might call that stubbornness. We call it cognitive dissonance, uh, which is maybe just really a, a fancier word, but it also, it, it also illustrates the opposite and how someone that bought a stock in, in spite uh, of it falling heavily may sit on it, uh, may sit on huge losses for extended periods of time, again, instead of, sort of moving on from that uh, uh, and, uh, and selling the position and looking for something that is quote unquote better. That investor may, you know, while they're holding that position, miss out on opportunities while they look for positive news and information about the company that they bought just to support that, that buying decision uh, and to hold the investment to sell at a profit in the future. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Let's move on to the next bias we wanted to discuss, which is recency bias. This causes people to recall and emphasize recent events more prominently than those that occurred in the near or distant past. 
The danger here, so to speak, is that recency bias can cause investors to ignore fundamental value and focus only on recent upward price performance. When a return cycle peaks and recent performance figures are most attractive, it's human nature to chase the promise of a profit. Asset classes become overvalued, and by focusing only on price performance and not on valuation, investors risk principal loss when they, these investments revert to their mean or long-term averages. Now, investors like to chase their winners, which is continuing, continuing to buy stocks that have worked out regardless of valuation. This is the FOMO trade, or fear of missing out. Now on the contrary, there's a very famous Warren Buffett saying that says, be fearful when others are greedy, and greedy when others are fearful. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Human beings have a tendency to assume that whatever has been happening recently is more likely to continue happening solely because it's fresh in their mind. So what can happen here as well is something we call extrapolation. An extrapolation is a tendency to estimate the future based on the assumption that current trends will continue or even accelerate over time. And the reality is rarely as extreme as we might imagine. So extrapolating can result in some poor investment decisions. Let's consider the following example. And, and this example, I remember the first time I heard this was probably 15 years ago. And uh, it's, uh, I think it's a great example of, of extrapolation. So in 1977, at the time of Elvis Presley's death, there were 170 Elvis impersonators worldwide. In 2000, there were 85,000 Elvis impersonators. At this growth rate, statisticians could predict that by 2019, Elvis impersonators would make up one-third of the world's population. Now, I don't know who to credit that uh, example to, so I apologize if that person is out there and listening. Uh, but what it does is it, um, it illustrates the example that falling victim to extrapolation uh, can cause errors in investment decision-making. Yeah, and let's bring that example back to and relate it back to investing. During bull markets, when markets are rising, investors have a tendency to feel like stocks will always go up. And of course, during bear markets, when markets are falling, they fear stocks will continuously go down. So or in the case of an individual stock, investors place too much weight on what recently happened when making their investing decisions. So let's do another example. Let's say an investor buys a hot marijuana stock. Steve, what should we call this investor? Uh, let's call her Mary Jane. <laughs> I like it. So let's say she sells her marijuana stock for a 50% gain. So she's more likely to feel like marijuana stocks are going to be a good investment going forward. Now it's possible that they could be a good investment, but they could also be a bad investment. But that assessment shouldn't be unfairly influenced by the recent memory of Mary's nice 50% gain. So similarly, let's say Mary buys a banking stock and it, and it declines by 20% in a month. Now she's more likely to think that banks are a bad investment. But her evaluation of banking stocks has been unfairly colored by her recent experience. If she were to buy another banking stock and it went up by 80%, now she'd suddenly change her tune and start believing that banks would make a great investment. From a broader market standpoint, the tendency is to sell when markets are going down and rebuy when markets are going up. Yeah, we do see quite a bit of that uh, attitude with people is, you know, looking to buy when markets are strong. 
as opposed to selling and buying when the market moves. Yeah, and that goes right back to what we've already said, uh, the famous Warren Buffett adage, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And another saying, buy low, sell high. Not the other way around, right, Russ? Exactly. Okay, so let's move on to our final cognitive bias, uh, which is confirmation. We weren't actually originally planning on talking about confirmation bias, but it does tie in quite well with the other two. So what confirmation bias is, is a type of selective perception in which people emphasize ideas that confirm their beliefs. They also will end up discounting ideas that contradict their beliefs. So investors may confirm things about a security that they want to confirm, such as good earnings, but may overlook negative factors affecting the outcome of an investment. This phenomenon is the source of investor overconfidence and helps explain why the bulls tend to remain bullish and the bears tend to remain bearish, regardless of what's happening in the market. Confirmation bias helps explain why investors do not always behave rationally and perhaps supports arguments that the markets behave inefficiently. Yeah, that's interesting, Steve. Uh, do you have an example for us of confirmation bias? I do. Uh, this time around, I don't have a fancy name for the investor. Uh, so we'll just call them investor. So suppose an investor hears a rumor that a company is on the verge of declaring bankruptcy. And based on that information, the investor considers selling the stock. When they go online to read the latest news about the company, they read only the stories that confirm the likely bankruptcy scenario and miss a story about a new product the company has just launched that is expected to perform well and increase sales. Instead of holding the stock, the investor sells it at a substantial loss. Shortly thereafter, the stock turns around and climbs to an all-time high. Making this situation even worse, what often happens at this point, rather than admit their mistake, is investors will often end up rebuying the stock even though it's higher. And to go back to your previous example, Rob, about the overall broad market, that is, again, counterintuitive in terms of the idea of buying low, selling high. Yeah, exactly. So many investors are don't want to sell at a loss, and they don't want to sell when it's up either. Yeah, and again, just looking at this, it just illustrates how important it is to really try and put those biases aside when you're doing any uh, analysis on, on investment. Yeah, and part of our job as advisors is to take that emotion out of that decision. Absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to the one emotional bias that we wanted to discuss, loss aversion. We chose to discuss this for obvious reasons. Loss aversion bias is based on the concept that people generally feel stronger impulse to avoid losses than to acquire gains. The research on loss aversion shows that investors feel the pain of a loss more than twice as strongly as they feel the enjoyment of making profit. That is, a loss aversion a loss averse person might demand a minimum a two to one gain for every dollar placed at risk. In this scenario, risks that don't pay double are unacceptable. Loss aversion can prevent people from unloading profitable investments, even when they see little to no prospect of a turnaround, to what we were just talking about. Some industry veterans have coined the term get-even-itis to describe this condition whereby a person wants to wait long as possible for an investment to rebound following a loss. Now, to be clear, a stock that is down is not always a bad investment. It's important to assess whether the stock is down for a true fundamental reason or as is the case for many companies right now, 
down as a result of a much broader or economic market move. It's important to continually evaluate your holdings based on the current condition rather than holding on to and basing your decision making on the original information required on the company when you bought the stock. Now a couple of general examples of this, Steve. So investing in a low return guarantee investment over more promising investments that might carry higher risk, right? So just going and selling and buying GICs. Or not selling a stock that's gone up slightly because the initial analysis was to hold for a longer period of time or for a larger gain amount. So going back to you know expecting a certain rate of return and still selling but not as much of a return as expected. Or how about telling yourself it's not a loss until it's realized. The whole uh, on paper, it's, it's only a loss on paper. So even if you hold, even if holding on to the current analysis indicates that you should sell it. That's right. So again, just to be clear, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about not selling when the markets are down. And there's also the flip side of that, again, is uh, at times it does make sense to sell an investment based on fundamental data. Yeah, exactly. Another famous saying is time in the market, not timing the market, so just staying invested. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to do so. Okay, well, I guess that uh, that wraps it up for our first ever podcast. Hopefully uh, our nerves didn't shine through too much. Please uh, subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your coworkers, and we'll have more content to come in the future. Yeah, also let us know. Uh, drop us a line if uh, there's anything in particular you'd like us to talk about or address. Yeah, and obviously you can find us on our website, which is ellisfinancialgroup.ca, and you can click in there, get our phone numbers, get our email addresses. We definitely want to hear from you. Again, thanks very much, and hopefully you can join us for our next episode. So once again, I'm Stephen Ellis. And I'm Robert Wolfson. And we are... A couple of gents. We'll talk to you again soon. 